Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Prior to this chat with Craig Gordon, I played him a video clip of Victor Valdez and Jose Pinto talking about the concept of playing out from the back. The two former Barca goalkeepers discuss in the video how their role changed from being a conventional shot stopper to an 11th outfield player, just another footballer. That intro helped set the tone for a fascinating discussion about Craig's remarkable campaign since Brendan Rodgers took over at Celtic. If you don't know the background, and think of this at a time when at Manchester City, ex-football pundits are now on the back of Claudio Bravo, Pep Guardiola, and the general tone of the discussion is, as soon as you get rid of this stupid idea about playing out from the back in British football, you'll be fine. Craig found himself initially out of the team at the beginning of the Celtic season, a victim of Brendan Rodgers' insistence that the goalkeeper should be willing and able to distribute the ball from the back, a la Barcelona in 2008-2009 under Guardiola. Just like everything else in his career, Craig Gordon met the challenge head on. He didn't simply claim his place back. He went on to prove to himself that when he'd been watching Barca in 2008 under Pep Guardiola and saying, I'd like to try and play like that, he proved to himself that he could. And he's gone on to become a vital linchpin in Celtic's potentially history-making season. His form has been so good that he's even attracted two bids from Chelsea in the January transfer window which Celtic rejected out of hand. During the big interview, we talk about Craig's devastating injury, which prompted him to turn from a 9 million Premier League goalkeeper to being completely out of the game for two years. You've probably heard or read about a lot of injury comeback stories, but very few like this one. Very few as difficult to understand and as inspirational in its outcome. Listen out for the part of the discussion that centres on Gigi Buffon, plus the day that Craig and two of his Hearts teammates, the Rickerton Three, took a public and very principled stance against that club's despotic Lithuanian owner. Power to the keeper. Enjoy this. Got a goalkeeper. A man like you carries the, the hearts and passions of men like me wherever you pull on the jersey and, and <clears throat> breaks their hearts whenever you <clears throat> win the League Cup final against the mighty <laughs> Aberdeen. But it's a real pleasure and honour to speak to you, Craig Gordon, here um, in your country mansion. Yeah, Lovely it's countryside. It's, it's, I love what you've done with the grass out there. 
rolling lawns. That's nothing to do with me. <laughs> Croquet, you could play out there. One of the reasons we're here is that um, from a distance, and obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, this season, uh, your role as Celtic goalkeeper includes a brand of football, a philosophy that is akin to what I've been watching in Barcelona when, to some degree, Rijkaard came, but certainly when Pep Guardiola came. And a brand of football that's caused nothing but confusion and <clears throat> aggression and criticism in England because of the Manchester City situation. First of all, am I right that at the moment Celtic are playing, using the ball in a way which is akin to what maybe you'd seen at Barcelona, whereby your role is not necessarily the goalkeeper when you've got the ball, but you're the first footballer. You're beginning to play out from the back, whether you've got time or whether you're under pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the manager's set that up straight away when he when he came in. And, and he's been out to, to Barcelona and watched it firsthand. So he's got a, a lot of inside knowledge into how, how it works. Um, and it probably took us a few months to to fit into that and, and get used to it. But it's uh, for me, it's about the players getting in the right positions as early as possible. Uh, and if they can do that, that makes my job an awful lot simpler. Um, it might only be a 10-yard pass. and. I think most professional footballers can can pull off a ten yard pass all the time. So if they're in the right position, that makes it makes it an awful lot easier. When it becomes more difficult, when you you have to go a little bit longer. But uh, as long as the the movements are right and the the players' rotations, they know exactly where they're going to be. It's something that you have to work on a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, we work on it every single week, probably at least two days, where the manager will put the put the team in position and and they'll just stop the ball with me and everybody will have to to get into their, their right position where they should be to receive it. If that's not on, where they should move, how, the, how to move the, the opposition around so that, that somebody becomes free. And, and once we've done that, it's up to me to, to notice what's going on, to, to look at the whole pitch and, and see where my, my option is. And, and then it's all about the, the execution of the pass after that. To what degree, if, unless I oversimplify it, to what degree would it be right that, again, whether you've got a little bit of time on the ball or whether you're under pressure and being pressed, Presumably the first position is that your full-backs are, are very open on the line and, and maybe a little bit higher up than, than most of us would be used to. And then the second position is that the centre-halves would, would split and maybe be to either side of your penalty box yeah, with yeah. somebody dropping to give you a central option from midfield. That's a broad brush. How close to... Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's fairly close to, to what we do. During the game, players aren't always in their, their natural position, no. so it, it sometimes they have to fill in for each other and know the role of, of the guy next to them because mm. the, the centre-backs might not always be on the same side, depending if it's a counter-attack. So the players have got to know each other's positions as well and where they should go. So it, it's, it's about the, the knowledge of the team and the understanding of everybody of, of what the role should be if you're in that position in the field. And Yeah, you're right, the, the centre-backs have to, to get back to, to try and get a square pass to to make sure that even if the press is on, that we, we still make the pitch as big as possible and, and give me the best chance to, to pick the right pass. Would you sometimes, again, I'm trying to draw from what I've seen, not just at Barcelona, but in some Spanish teams, would you maybe now expect to get given the ball back if the player you've given it to is under a little bit of pressure, they'll give it back because in giving it away to them, you've drawn the play away from you. So you've just got a little bit more time so the one-two ball might come back to you so you can then turn your body shape and look left. So you become an outfield player, yeah, even after you've distributed it. No, you do. Um, and yeah, you, you have to, to give options and, and sometimes that's coming away from the goal. It's, it's yeah. forgetting where the goal is and thinking, where's the right angle for the pass? Because if the pass is on and you get the ball, it, it doesn't matter where the goal is because 
you're keeping the ball for the team. So it's about giving the, the right passing angles to, to your teammates as well. So that's, that's probably not something that a lot of goalkeepers have thought about in years gone by. It's certainly something that I've adapted into my game to, to think about more, to, to where I can go to help help out my defenders. And once they give me the ball, it's up to them to make a make another angle to, to try and get back on it or, or to open up space because if you know, the, the striker keeps coming to, to try and put me under pressure, then it, it gives me a, a couple of options of, of where to pass the ball. Now, as all my publicity shots show, I'm incredibly youthful. <laughs> Wonderful complexion. However, yeah. there is an age difference between us. So when I was playing any kind of amateur football or school football, there were rules. <laughs> One rule was you never, ever pass across your penalty box. Also, there was a culture of get it long. Going back to your younger stage of being trained at football, so not the last five, ten years, were those still the rules? Absolutely, yeah. So I what you're doing now that. is incomplete. Yeah, it is. yeah it's totally different. Um, it's, it is something that I've had to, to change. I mean, when I first started playing school football, you could pick the ball up when it came back to you. That was, I've, I have actually lived through that as well. I'm, I'm old enough to remember that. Uh, we share so, that complexion. So, yeah, so definitely it's something that I've changed. But, I mean, I, it's actually flying in the face of everything that, oh, yeah. we, that we were taught. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get the ball back from, from a full-back, back no. straight at your goal. You'd have to go to the side. You wouldn't pass it back directly on target. Where Now, if that's, <coughs> if that's the right passing angle, then... To get out the other side, then that's exactly what you do. Or, or sometimes you're, you're going away from the ball to make the first pass a longer pass so you can play a short pass which, which quickens the game up. So there's a, there's a lot of different uh, attributes now needed to, to playing goals as opposed to them. What does it feel like? It's I, great. I love it. It's, it's so much more enjoyable. It's not just keeping the ball out the net and, and making a save now and again or, or coming for a cross. It's, you really feel like you're part of the team. Yeah. And last week we, we scored a goal up at, up at Dundee from a goal kick. I played two passes in the move, played it short, got it back, played it over the top to the fullback, went down the line, crossed, and it's a goal. So the so you feel more of yeah. a, a responsibility for that goal than normally yeah, you would have done. Absolutely, because you know we we started it at the back, we circulated it around, we we sucked I think it was about four players to yeah. to come and press, and then we played over the top of that, and you're, you're playing against five or six players to, to try and score a goal, which is, is an awful lot easier than, than playing against 11. That's the superiority of numbers that Barcelona coach ask for. And, and when you hear Xavi or Iniesta, any of them talking about superiority, first thing I think we hear is like better players. It'll be superiority is I'm a better player than you. Mm -hmm. But it's about superiority of numbers, changing where their numbers are, either making a 2v3 or a you know, 3v4 in your favour, or else, drawing certain numbers them to a part of the pitch where eventually, 10 seconds later, they'll realise that they don't want to be. Absolutely. It's very strategic. Yeah, it is. And the manager always talks about that as well. He's, he's, he's excellent with his tactics and how he, how he tries to get those overloads in different areas of the pitch. and Not the sort of normal ones that you would maybe think of or get 2v1 down the side. It's all about getting numbers and, and superior numbers in, in different areas of the pitch so that we can get overloads to, to mm. create attacks. and. Uh, the, the players rotate round and they, they know what areas they have to be in at certain times. And he's just so clear in how he puts that over in the, the training ground that uh, you know, even if we change systems the, within a game, the players know how to adapt really quickly with, without even really thinking about it. Do you think it makes footballers more alert? Yeah, there's, there's a lot. During a game, yeah, too. Of course, there's, there's a lot more now. Tactically, it's, it's at another level compared to 
uh, when I started, even to five, six years ago when I was down in England. You know, we played 4-4-2, four, 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 you played 4-5-1 and, and you went out and played. There wasn't really a great deal to it. Whereas now I think the, the influence of, of Barcelona mainly made that change. You say Barcelona either for, for, you, for your eye, for general perceptions or specifically because Brendan is something of a student of their game. Yeah, I mean, for, for us, but going back to, to when Guardiola took over at, right. at Barcelona and, and he, made, he made that way of playing football fashionable and, and people were trying to copy it, not to the same success, uh, but there were there was certainly a lot of people looking at that and trying to, to copy the style, to, to bring it over here. Could it work in, in British football? And, and certainly I think this season we've, we've proved that it can. We've, we've played some very good games. We've even managed to do reasonably well in the, the Champions League where we, we got a few draws and, and it was a very difficult group. It was, it was always going to be very difficult to Great get to out group. of, but yeah. certainly as the, the campaign progressed, we, we put in better performances and, and really learnt how to play at that level. You had the chance, I suppose, to watch Barcelona in the, in, when he came in initially. When you were looking at that, were you thinking, hmm, that looks too risky? Or oh, you aren't to play that way one day? the speed and pace of Scottish English game would mean that couldn't apply. Before you became a convert and showed that you've got everything mentally and football technique-wise to excel at it, when you looked at it and you weren't playing that way, what did you think? I was excited by it, actually. Uh, I wasn't that nervous about it getting brought in. I, I wanted to try it. I, I thought I could probably do it. I, I probably wasn't 100% that, that I could, but I thought from looking at that, I had the attributes to do it, whether it would work in a, a British style with the high press, but uh, we've, we've certainly we've shown that we can. I think that's just the, the repetition, the amount of, of training hours we've spent on it to, to get it absolutely right, to, to make sure that the players do take the ball and they're brave to take it. They, they want to, to get in the areas quickly to help the, the goalkeeper out because it's easy just to, to pass the ball back and, and let the goalkeeper kick it along. But if you're going to play this style, you have to have the players that are willing to come short to get in the areas to, to receive the ball. You don't have any of these, but some, one of the things we try to do in the big interview is take terminology that we know exists mm -hmm. and that you know what it means and that not every listener will understand. And it's not this team at all. But there are players who, in inverted commas, in the professional game, you use the word hide. Mm -hmm. You look as if you're showing, but you're not. And you yeah. use the word brave because... We've been looking at Valdez and Pinto talking about the players who <clears throat> they don't just need to be well positioned, they need to want the ball, yeah. they need to be able to control the ball yeah. under pressure. Yeah. These things are so in the game when somebody says, Oh, look, he's looking as if he wants mm -hmm. it, but he's hiding. That yeah. happens in professional yeah. sportsmen. Absolutely. They hide from pressure because yeah. they worry about their technique. Yeah, they're quite happy to, to pass that over, but uh, to pass responsibility. Yeah, pass responsibility to, to the goalkeeper to, to do something. Maybe a little bit safer. Yeah. Uh, if you're under pressure, that's probably a natural reaction to to want to play safe. But uh, it's something that we've consciously tried to. Because it's a mentality. It is, it's, it is absolutely. It's a it's a decision. It's a mental decision to to want the ball to to know that it's yeah you might be a little bit scared to take the ball in that area, mm -hmm. but you got to do it anyway mm -hmm. because it's for the better of the team. And in all situations, incluso and incluso. To print Spanish every now and again because <laughs> my brain's not that quick. <laughs> Including, let's call it rugby because I'm not talking about Celtic, I'm not talking about mm -hmm. your squad now, but in football, where it's 
in any pressure situation, I think there's, 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 there's players who know what they want to do and also deep down know what they can't do or don't want to be mm -hmm. exposed. I think that's something that we, watching from the sidelines, very rarely understand. We, we think that everybody's got the same level of bravery or self-confidence or testosterone, but it is asking quite a lot of certain people. Pressure yeah. situations. Uh, I mean, we're all human. We're all people yeah. that feel the same emotions that, that go out there and play. It's, it's not something... We're not different to anybody else. Yeah. You know, if anybody from the public went out and did that, they would feel nervous. And we're no different. We have the experience of, of being able to deal with it. We've done it before. But you know, at some point, we went out there for our first game and, and had to deal with the situation. And that, that's how you learn to deal with it, by, by just doing it. Uh, there's no, there's no secret formula. We're not any different to anybody else. You, you're, you're going to be scared. It, it's going to be, it's going to be nerve-wracking, and you, you have to go out there and, and learn to cope. And over time, that's that's what happens. So one of the many things that people, many things that people laugh at me for, is repeating Barcelona's players' obsession about the pitch. Mm -hmm. I can't be that important. And look at the pitches in the seventies, or you know the millimetre length of it. Word for the groundsman. The better the pitch, the it does help you a lot oh, yeah. in these situations if the pitch is perfect. If you want to keep the ball on the ground, then absolutely. Um, you know, we went over to, to Barcelona early in the season and, yeah, there wasn't a blade of grass out of place. It was absolutely Could you perfect. notice that as a professional? Oh, yeah. I mean, and it was, it was short. It was really short in the grass, which made the pitch really fast. Oh, you're and doing me such a thing. <laughs> Will you listen to Craig Gordon, please? Because Chabby so, uh, yeah, I mean, will so tell you at a glance from mm -hmm. 50 yards... He's like an, an assassin, <laughs> the length of the grass, whether it's right or not. And it's like the nap of a snooker table for Ronnie O'Sullivan. It's, it's, it's everything. Yeah, I mean, they, they were fantastic that night. And uh, it was, it, from some point of view, it was good to watch, even though we, we took a, a bit of a beating that night. But uh, you know, just to see that in, in action, that level of, of everything, from the technique to, to the pace and power that they mm. had, the, the speed that they moved the ball, that was probably the, the thing that sort of resonated with me the most was, was just how, how quick it was. They would, they would go from side to side and then all of a sudden there was a couple of forward passes and it was so fast that, um, that we couldn't deal with it that night and probably a, a good learning experience for, for everybody that was there. One of the things I want to ask you as well, and I, I don't want to, if, even if I cite examples, I'm not looking to call anybody out, but there's a, a really useful... Um, internet clip when Germany scored against England recently where the ball's played at the back, Ter Stegen gets it maybe three times and Glenn Hoddle's commentating Glenn Hoddle who had everything that we were talking about as a player yeah. could take the ball anywhere, would take the ball anywhere, pass as if it was, I don't know remote controlled and his commentary is saying well, look at they're doing that's too risky, England could rob it but oh look Germany have scored Podolski's comes from one of the most gorgeous moves you'll see this or any other season. And while you've been showing that your initial enthusiasm for seeing this system has translated into exactly what you said, that you can do it and that it's fun and that aids you winning games, down in England there's almost been a feeding frenzy about this idiotic thing that Pep's doing. Keep Joe Hart, irrespective of his qualities or, or not, don't make so many risks, look at John Stones. It's got to a point about, I don't, I'm not even sure it's analytical anymore, it's just like everybody who is involved in looking at the game in England, in the media at least, and ex-professionals, saying stop it, 
Mm -hmm. This is wrong. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's been very successful. Um, and you know, he's gone in there. He's not made too many signings. He's, he's trying to, to do it with the, the players that were there, whether they were used to that type of, of play or not. So uh, he's, it'll take time. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. They're, they're playing at the, the very highest level. But I think it does work. I think you've seen in international games, Champions League games, if it can work there, it can work in the, the Premier League in England, without doubt. Where's the conservatism coming from in our game, though? This, it's change. It's different. It's something different, and people are sometimes afraid of what's what's different, mm. um, and and perhaps that translates to the the stands. People get a little bit nervous. I know that mm. happened to us early in the season when we were passing the ball around at the back. The fans would get a little bit nervous. They'd, they'd want the ball to get forward a little bit better, but. The longer it's gone and, and the more successful we've been with it, they, they now realise that we're doing it for a reason. It's mm -hmm. not just because we're just passing the ball, we're just keeping it, we're, we're moving the opposition, we're tiring them out for later in the game when we can, can take advantage. So there's, there's lots of reasons why it does work and why it, it works for us and, and why it will work for, for other teams as well. Well, given my aspirations that the mighty dandies might <clears throat> meet somebody in the cup final again uh, this season and right the wrong of earlier... Um, <laughs> I hope I'm not founding a dynasty here, but I need to share with you, maybe you probably as a student of the game you already know, but when Cruyff and Charlie Rexach, his ex-teammate who becomes his assistant coach, take over in the late 80s at Barcelona and revert from a very direct, very brusque style of football to exactly what you're talking about now, all around the camp now, when the ball wasn't played quickly, when it didn't go forward, when it didn't come in instantly off the wing, whether there was somebody there or not, the crowd would do. There wasn't just restlessness. They were unhappy. Mm -hmm. And over a couple of seasons, they were converted. And now, it's held as a badge of honour, something yeah, that they never want to let go. Yeah. It is their way. So, you know, I have to start somewhere. So if in um, 20 years, we're talking about three European Cups and several uh, UEFA Cups or Europa Leagues later, then uh, I want you to remember this moment yes, because you, you're starting <laughs> a... You're starting a an era. When I first saw you play, um, you reminded me of Buffon. Movement, physique, athleticism, attitude. And it, for Scott, it's very exciting to see genuine talent emerge. And it, it wasn't until recently I realised that Buffon's been somebody for you that has been, I don't know, an inspiration or a guide. Often yeah, you don't use the word hero to footballers because that might be too strong, but... No, but definitely someone to, to look up to and um, I just feel for for goalkeeping nowadays you are kind of put into different brackets. You've got the, the goalkeepers who are good with their feet, you've got the the big goalkeepers who have got the presence and, and maybe come for, for more crosses. So th there's nobody that really has absolutely everything and for me it was Buffon that always had most things. That There wasn't a weakness in his game. I don't think you can, can say that about even some of the, the top goalkeepers in the world. But, but for me, he, he's one that, that can do everything and has adapted as his career's gone on to being able to play out from the back as well. The, the passes that he plays now, I mean, he just gives defenders the ball, mm. even if they're under pressure. Yeah. But he's got great players in front of him and yeah. it allows him to do that. He, he, he hardly ever gets injured. He's, he plays so many games. I think he's recently just played a thousand games. So, you know, for, for to play that amount of games at that level and be that good, you know, that, 
that says everything for me. He's something very special. Where did you pick up on him? How did you pick up on him? When, when did you first encounter Gigi Buffon? I remember him at, uh, at Parma um, and his, his big money move. I remember watching you know, Italian football back in Channel 4. The best. Back in the, the day. Best. So, uh, yeah, it was probably through that. And uh, he was a, the up-and-coming star. Everybody was, was talking about him then. And uh, not to, to think that maybe coming up 40 shortly, it's, uh, it's, it's some career to think he's, he's still at the top a 1,000 games later. At that age, were you somebody who specifically looked at keepers to say, I will do, I won't do, that's something to copy, I haven't seen that before, or were you just a football fan admiring? No, I think you're always looking to, um, I was always looking to copy things and, and look at, at different goalkeepers' games and see if I could add them into me. I still do that now. I still look at the games and, and analyse other goalkeepers and see if there's parts of their technique that I can pick up on or or improve to, to try and make my game better. I, I don't think you ever stop that. I don't think you should. No. It's a, it's a constant learning process. I feel as if I'm a, a far better goalkeeper now, much more all-round goalkeeper than I've, I've ever been at any stage in my career. And, and that's because I'm, I'm constantly looking to learn, to find any little, small degree of, of anything that will help my game, whether it's, it's speed, whether it's the way goalkeepers get up off the ground, um, Know, for for starting positions, for where they're receiving the ball in the pass backs, what angles are they looking at? You're always looking to see what other people are doing to see if it's it's better. Can you improve your own game? Which uh, you know this season I've I've done even more of with the way we've we've changed our style. You recently you you played um, against one that I think is probably underprofiled at the moment. In all black, mm -hmm. I see a lot of him in the Liga, and and I remember that his situation when he first came couldn't have been more intense. Moya had signed; he'd come from Portuguese football. The Portuguese who sold him immediately about a month later launched a story in the press saying, "Atlético don't like him in training; they want to sell us him back." For a young fellow like that, coming to a different language, different culture, was extraordinary. If you look at him now, I, I think what certainly my eye tells me and I'm, I'm offering it up to the expert, is that at that age, his progression has been extraordinary. He's already, to me, one of the elite six or seven in the world anyway. Is, is this the same impression as you've got? Yeah, I think he's, he's been fantastic over the last few seasons. Really has. Some of the, the performances in the big European games, and, and that's, that's what you can judge as well, is, is the big games. Yeah. Putting the big performances in the big games, and, and he's certainly, certainly done that at uh, Atletico, played against them. Not so long ago, as you mentioned there, and uh, he had quite a busy night. He had a, a few saves, and uh, you know, he, he came for his crosses as well. Got some good punches, which you know is, is something that you, you don't always think of a, a foreign goalkeeper doing. But uh, he was uh, maybe he was good that night, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's, he's going to have a, a good career ahead of him. He's he's just went from strength to strength. He's so quick across his goal. I think that's probably his major strength is his speed. Um, I certainly noticed that watching him play at Hamden, how how quickly he get back across his goal. The one that hit the post, he gets back up, he, he rushes across his line, and um, is in position for for the rebound so quick. And you know, that that for me was was very impressive. You picked up on something that against um, Bayer Leverkusen recently to put them through to yet again to the quarterfinals of the Champions <coughs> League. He makes three saves in the yeah. space of about six and a half yeah. seconds, yeah. which to me, I mean, I could. Never mind watching Maradona or Pelé, I could watch that. Yeah. His re recovery speed is so quick. 
yeah, to, to be able to, to get back on your feet, to get back in the right area, to, to make yourself look so big. He's not huge. and to make. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, he's not, he's not a, a giant by he's any means. He's not a Buffon, for example, because Buffon, I, I've been around him a lot in, in pre and post and whatever and seen him training and, you know, he's a very imposing physical specimen. Yeah. Taller, bigger, wider. Yeah, and he, he's got that persona, that sort of oh, personality about him as well, which, yeah, which adds to kind of the aura about him. something that, special there, but, eh? uh, but I think that definitely helps in games as well. If you're a striker going through and, and you see him and you know it's him and everything that he's, he's done in the game, it, it, it's sure to put doubts in the striker's head. Are you an age like me to have seen Schmeichel at his best? Yeah. yeah I, saw, I, I saw games where, however he was playing, he, strikers were coming in and they were like, I'm not beating him. Yeah, he, he'd make himself so big and... I mean, he, he came out and, and spread and made that sort of starfish shape that everybody talked about, and uh, it's it more like a, a kind of handball save rather than than goalkeeping. But you see more and more of that now. It's it's something that is is trained and, and goalkeepers look at and and try and uh, and replicate that. So you know, it did change the the style of goalkeeping, maybe from you know more looking at handling, catching the ball to to getting in the way and making blocks. Uh, and getting out to, to strikers and, and closing the angle down. You know, from that point of view, that, that changed goalkeeping at that time as, as well, just not in the same way. You've, analyzed, you've talked there about that technique, mm. but you started by saying to me about before, and it, it, his presence, his aura. Yeah. Like, yeah. The psychology of goalkeeping means that, do you kind of remember when you put one over a striker? Do you look to, do you know certain strikers, like strikers know goalkeepers and go like, not only like he likes to put it left and low or early, hits it early or gives you that, whatever. You, is there a situation where you, I think other keepers do, I think I've seen it, you try to dominate or you you pick on one-on-one -on -one situations, keepers know it. I've been against him before. Or I've seen him on tape. Yeah. and The psychology yeah, is big. Of course. Um, and, and the preparation as well, because we do, I mean, now the tools that you've got to, to look at the opposition team, which, which wasn't there sort of 10, 15 years ago, um, you know all the internet clips. You can you can really study players really well now. All the the apps and everything they've got. All the all the the media stuff that we've got up the stair here. Just is incredible amount of information on on players on teams. Um, and you can look at all their their goals or their their finishes and and start to get an idea of of what they like to do. It doesn't mean to say they're they're going to do it, but but certainly now there's there's definitely that opportunity to. To learn more about the opposition and, and know exactly what they're, they're going to do before the game. But you, but you have to number one, you have to filter that because mm -hmm. you don't want junk in. You you, mm -hmm. you only want the nuggets. Mm -hmm. But then you have to carry that and use it in split seconds. Yeah, I think that's a task. Because it fascinates me. It's second nature to you, maybe. Yeah. Maybe what I'm saying sounds stupid because that's just what you do all the time. Yeah. You're there's working only at certain computer things. speed there. Yeah. There's only certain things you can take onto the pitch. You can't take everything. Um, so for me, it would be the the organisation at set pieces. I would know. Um, I'd have a couple of guys that would be organising the wall or or the back line to to know where we're standing. I would communicate with them and make sure they're organising everybody else around them. Um, and, and other than that, I would, I would have a look at set piece takers, um, penalty takers, free kick takers. Uh, know a little bit about them, uh, and then also the the guys that are, are likely to be to be shooting. What what their favourite sides are, what mm. the what they're looking to do. They like to, to cut in, go down the line, or just a little bit of 
information about each one. I suppose it helps in, in Scotland that we play each other so often. Hmm. It's, you do get to know players and and you, you maybe don't have to, to do as much background checks on them as you would do with, uh, with a bigger league, but... Uh, but certainly uh, you do get to know each other quite well in this league. There's a famous moment that um, that helped change my career and give me more enjoyment professionally. Italy and Spain are... Italy is the bet noir of Spain in 2008. They haven't beaten them for 70-something years, 2008 quarterfinals. According to Marco Senna, so it's not they shit themselves. <laughs> they go there, they, as soon as Italy are through, because they're not supposed to be coming out of the group, they go through... Spain are sitting in front of the, uh, under Aragonese. They're going to go on, like, spoiler, they're going to win the tournament. But they don't know that then. They're sitting, Italy get through, and they go, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and this is Marcos, who's playing. Yep. And on the night, he says the Spaniards, because he's Brazilian-born, as it goes nil-nil and it's in extra time, knees are knocking, and he has to go around shouting at people. And it goes to penalties, and Ocho Terena, the Spanish keeping coach, who's a legend and has been there forever, and has been working with Pepe Reina and, and Ica Casillas, starts to download and coach. Remember, Ica, and Ica said, just leave me alone. Leave, go away, don't want any information, don't want to be spoken to. The penalty shootout's coming, and that was Ica. No more voices, information, just leave me in my quiet little zone and I'll, I'm the cat. I'll pull this off. Um, can you recognise that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he'll have, he'll have seen them take penalties before. Uh, for sure, he'll know, he'll know the penalty takers, he'll know the players. Um, and sometimes you just want to get a read on the night and just go with what you feel. Instinct? Yeah, that you, you just think that's what's going to happen. You can just feel it um, and, and you get a read on someday and you can be the hero. It's always a good situation to be in for, for a goalkeeper to to try and go be the hero. Um, but yeah, there, there's two ways of looking at it. You can, you can have all the information you want, but mm. under pressure, you, you don't always know what what people are going to do. Uh, it, it makes a lot of people change their mind. <laughs> and, you, and you can look at penalties during open play and think that's where something's going to go. But the score, there could be 2 3 nil up and there's no pressure on it. So that information doesn't always count for an awful lot. You're sometimes better just going out there and, and trying to get a read on the, the situation as he as he walks up to the ball. One of the great things that I did, and, and this isn't meant to, to bore, so you're allowed to press stop and say stop boring me. <laughs> That's a direct offer. Watching Spain training, because we're not allowed to do that in Scotland. We're not allowed to do it in England either. But you're allowed to over there, so you learn. Mm -hmm. And at the end of training, in the era when it was Valdez, Pepe Reina and Ica, there'd be 50 euros bet, 20 penalties each. Pepe against Ike, Ike against Pepe. Goalie versus goalie. Mm -hmm. Pepe Reina always won. Top corner here, top corner there. Low, chip, hard, outstanding. But the eventual score, sometimes it would go to a shoot-off. It would be 24, 25 or whatever. How's your penalties? Yeah, all right. Um, I, I would take one. I wouldn't, that wouldn't phase me. I would go up and probably hit it quite hard. But, um, yeah, I've never taken one. Oh in, a, in a game, but um, I always wonder if it would help the psychology of if you're taking, available. then it maybe makes you different, think differently about how you're saving. Yeah, I mean, possibly. I, 
I would know what I'd want to do if I was taking a penalty. I would, don't, don't, I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell you, but I'm, I know already what I would I, do. I've so got there, a sense. Of, be, I think I know. There'd be no change in my mind. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it, it, it's, it's a mental thing, mm. and you know that there's probably similarities by facing it up at the other side, trying to trying to keep it out. So to to turn that and uh, and go out and hit one would probably still be a similar mentality to be able to take the, take the pressure on your shoulders as, as you are when you're trying to keep them out and, and go and do it. I, mean, I know Neuer's hit a few in, in shootouts to mix yeah. success, yeah. Um, but, but certainly it wouldn't be, be something that would, would faze me too much, I would do it. I asked you permission before we started the big interview about going to this subject, but I mean, how are you here? How are you in the best form of your life playing Champions League football? better goalkeeper now when you spent what two years when the game had kind of if not turned its back and you had given up and helping you get back and only your force of will got you back yeah it was a lot of hard work um but i, I had a tear in my patella tendon that, that didn't heal particularly well um on my sorry, four or five months after my first operation i I done it again, and um, there, there wasn't really a great deal the, the surgeon could do in the the, the second time round. Um, he did say it could take up to two years to, to fully heal itself, um, which turned out to be just about right. Um, my contract was up at, at Sunderland; it, it didn't get renewed. I think they they probably feared the worst for me at that stage as well, and that, that, I, that I wouldn't get back. So. Yeah, I went out on my own and, and researched it, tried to find the, the possible treatments that I, that I could do. Uh, I'd already had I had three knee operations on that side, two on the tendon, so there wasn't there wasn't really a great deal more to be gained by uh, operations. Um, nothing that had been successful. There was a few kind of exploratory ones that they, they could have tried something, but. I, I didn't want to go down that route, so I, I looked at all the, the other treatments that, that weren't so invasive, the, the different types of injection I could get, and just basically went through them all. Um, I had PRP injections in, in Barcelona. I went there to... Is that Kugat? Yes. Hmm. Yes. Infamous. Uh, Brilliant. Over the years. Yeah. Saved careers. So many so, times. Uh, yeah, I had, I had four injections with, with him. Um, in Barcelona, and then also I had high volume injections in London, uh, where they they basically they they blow up round about the tendon to, to squeeze it as tightly mm. as possible okay. to try and um, to try and kill the the blood vessels that are growing into it because mm. that's what what causes the pain. So I mean, they all to some degree worked. Um, it, it steadily began to improve. Um, and, and then I, I was able to, to start doing some exercise again. Uh, even then, that still took a whole season of, of building that up. Um, I had um, I'd went to, to Rangers at that point to, to work with their physio, a guy called Stephen Walker, who had um, rehabbed successfully. I think it was a, a Norwegian player who I think is now back in, in, uh, in Norway now. But... Uh, had successfully rehabbed one of those injuries before, and uh, 
and had a little bit of experience, so so that definitely helped me as well. He, yeah, he was he was good at putting a program together for me, and and we just took it really slowly. Um, it took near enough a, a whole season to to get right to the point I was I was out on the training field, and, and there, there was a few teething problems, but overall I, I was managing to get through three training sessions a week, um, and you know at the end of all that I I managed to to get a deal at, at Celtic and, and so this is my, my third season here now. I've no problem with the knee whatsoever. There's uh, I don't have to do anything special to to maintain it or, or or look after it. I can do every single training session and uh, and that's the, the reason I'm I'm feeling so good and so fit mm. and ready to play. I sat once um, before the verdict came through with John Mark Bosman when Europe had abandoned him completely, he was broke. Uh, sold all his furniture, moved back in with his parents, drinking too much. Sat and chatted to Marco Senna about his knee ligaments giving way three times and being told by the club it's because you've got a, an unlucky number on your back, give it up, no I won't. Mm -hmm. Darren Fletcher, a guy who's been on this series before, who I like and admire enormously, being told the only way that you can recuperate from this is get Premier League fit and we operate again, it'll set you back to zero you have to get Premier League fit again, we'll operate again, and you can be sure that there are three of these coming. Mm -hmm. And I often ask them, like, why do they, where does the strength come from, and, and why did they continue? What, what made you continue, and where did you, what did you learn about your own strength? Well, to start with, when I, when I left Sunderland, I thought that was it. I thought, you know, that I didn't see a way back, the, the pain, so bad it was difficult to, to go up and downstairs. I had to go downstairs sideways because I, hmm. I couldn't bend my knee, I couldn't hmm. take any weight through my knee at all. It's just very scary. To, you can say that quickly, but that's no longer just about your sporting profession, that's about your yeah, that was daily human life. mobility. Yeah, that was... That's a really scary that thing was in every your mind. day. Every day, yeah. that, was, that was painful. Um, just, just walking around. And I remember going on holiday and, and just after I, I left, Sunderland, I went to, to New York and, and found it really difficult to, to just walk around and thinking, is this, is this my life? Is this what it's going to be like? Um, so for, for a good few months after I, I left Sunderland, I, I didn't do anything at all. Um, but slowly began to think that I had to give it one more shot, mm. that I hadn't exhausted every opportunity to try and get back that that I hadn't tried enough and and then I set out looking at all the things I, I possibly could do to try and then I knew that if I had tried all those things and it didn't work that okay I can I can live with that. that That's the concept that spiritually you can look yourself in the mirror and yeah. say I, I didn't give up too yeah. soon. I gave it everything I, I had and okay it didn't work but there wasn't anything that I, that I didn't try in, in pursuit of getting there. When, when, were there moments when it was too much, when you were, who helped you? And, and were there moments where you're like, I'm not sure I can take this? Yeah, yeah there was. Um, a few times there was a, a couple of little setbacks where I thought I'd be doing all right and I would, I'd get outside, maybe do a, a couple of football sessions and, and then it, it would get sore again. Um, and you know, I'd maybe have to, to have a week or two, but not doing anything, we're just doing light exercise and 
I knew I needed to to break through that that last little bit if I was was going to make a make a career out of it again. And yeah, there, there was there was definitely times where I just didn't feel like going in that I, I couldn't be bothered going back. That it was just it was too painful and mentally it was getting too tough. But I, it's, my wife would remind me that like you've not got anything else to do, so you may as well go and do it. So just get out of the house. So. So I did. There, there wasn't anything else for me at that point. You know, I, I wanted to to make sure that I had given it everything, um, and that's that's all everybody had to remind me was make sure you give it your best shot. And each time I thought, you know, I've still got more, um, and I, I can go back to this, and I'll get there. Are you spiritual? No. Are you stubborn? I'm stubborn. Definitely <laughs> stubborn. Yeah. The Capricorn, so that helps. Is that? Very stubborn. There's a good song in there. Is it Capricorn? Capricorn. I'm Larry. You're too old to remember the <laughs> drifting. Probably. Yeah. But it's a disco era. <laughs> Would people that know you recognise that about you prior to you having to fight back from the brink of not playing? That there's a certain stubbornness. Yeah, the people that are close enough to me know that I'm, I'm quite stubborn. I can be. If I want to be quite, quite selfish and do what. I need to do, and, and I think you need a level of that to, yeah. to even get anywhere in this yeah. game. You, you need to, to look after yourself and make sure that you, um, you know, you're number one and that that you're you're doing everything you can for your career. And you know, I'd, I'd like to think that I'm a I'm a nice guy off the pitch that um, that people probably don't see that side of me, but but certainly on the pitch, then in in a football environment, I I can be stubborn and do what I need to do. It's my firm belief. We've had five million listens since we started this series. People of all ages, countries, um, interests. There's a small thing, I didn't set out to get this, but I think there's a small thing to pass on there. Can you confirm to, to those who aren't elite footballers or elite sportsmen or women in any, but maybe have an illness or maybe have damaged their bodies or maybe are struggling mentally or physically, just the value of exhausting all the options, continuing, having faith, believing that, that you, you can change, if not your destiny, you can change your situation. Yeah, you can. Um, yeah, that's what I did. I just looked at all my possible options and, and made sure that I, I exhausted every avenue possible. Um, I think what I said earlier, that if you can then look yourself in the mirror and and say that you've done everything you possibly can, you've fought the best fight, then that's okay. You know, that, that's, that's fine by me. If I have given it everything I can, I look back at the end of my career and I've ended up with six, seven, eight more years out of it, then you know, that's something to be proud of in itself, mm. regardless of, of what I've done previously or go on to do in my career, that that, that achievement of getting back to play in even any kind of sport from where I was will probably be the biggest achievement in my career. You're a man of principle. Um, I remember watching from Barcelona when you and Paul Hartley and big Elvis Presley said, uh, we're not happy here. Not happy with what's going on here. Not happy with an owner interfering. Um, do, do you feel now, looking back, that you did the right thing in standing up for those who don't remember, I think the owner's name was Romanov and that you all objected to 
a number of things that he was doing, and I think broke, broke the mould. You broke the norm in football, where the idea is, keep your head down, take the wages, don't complain. If you have to do something, leave. Yeah, we, we wanted to, to make the situation better for everybody. And, and not just for ourselves, but for some of our teammates that maybe weren't getting treated fairly. We, we just wanted that equality and to be run as a, a normal football club and, and have the manager make the decisions. And, and we're a good group of players. We were a good mm. team. Um, but yeah, it probably wasn't as acceptable in a British society, I think, if you go abroad, that's more the norm that the, the owner will have more of a say and, and, and that's just what happens and it, it's more accepted. Whereas we'd never seen anything like that before um, and and didn't understand it, mm -hmm. didn't know what was going on and and couldn't figure it out. So we we tried to, to take some action that we felt would help everybody at the club, um, whether it did or not. Looking back, it's, it's hard to tell, but certainly our intentions were good of what we were we were trying to achieve. We, we wanted the, the club to move forward um, and, and to be run in a way that, that benefited everybody, the, the players and the fans alike. You take my point, I think it's true to say that the culture in football is don't speak out. Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, it still is, really. Which isn't very good in society, full stop. We live in an, in an era when... Strange things are happening, or desperate things are happening around the world. And the mm -hmm. idea is, do you speak? Do you, can you identify what's wrong and speak about it? Are you brave enough to stand by your principles? I don't want to make any of you like martyrs or hero no. figures, but I think it's—I saw it as a Scot, mm -hmm. I mean, as a football journalist, as something that was important that I was impressed by and proud of. Yeah, and I think it'll, it'll be remembered for a while. Yeah, anyway, I think it was was something a bit different. Um, but yeah, we, we, our intentions were good. We wanted to to progress the club. Uh, I think we cared. I think that's what the what it was. We, we really cared about the club. We, we, the three of us had all been there for for quite some time. Um, had good relationships with the fans, and and we wanted to to show them what was going on, and um, maybe try and force a, a few changes for for the better of everybody didn't really happen that way. Within a year, we were all away from the club. That's the thing. There are, you, you, you take the right actions and sometimes there are consequences, but you, you take them anyway. Before we close, um, I'm here because this is what gives me joy and um, satisfaction and enjoyment. In your career, looking left and right, in football or in sport, what are the things that, that inspire you, that have given you the greatest joy as a, as a watcher, as a spectator, not just the taking part, beating teams, winning trophies. What are the things that, that give you the type of enjoyment that I'm having right now? In sport particularly, I would say. In football, any of that, a team, characters, or outside football, people that sit, that sit that beyond a Buffon, whether it was a Jack Nicholas or a Ballesteros or, I don't know, rugby golf, music. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many people out there that, that inspire. You, you always look at the the top professionals in in all the sports. Um, I was I was watching a program just last night about, about Tiger Woods um, and and his career and how he came through and how his father had had helped him to to get to where he was in the 
the game and, and that kind of reminded me of my upbringing and my dad was, was a goalkeeper and he played down the leagues in, in Scotland and, uh, and and how much he helped and worked with me, even just the amount of time that he played with me as a kid mm. to, to be out in the back garden hitting shots at me for, for hours and hours on end. And, you, know, you, you never, you probably never really get the chance to, to thank them for that and, uh, and, and realise just how much work uh, he put in and you know, he didn't just have to, to buy football boots, he had to buy gloves as well, which are about the same kind of price. So, I mean, he had he had double the the, the efforts to, to try and try and do that. So, I mean, you know, that, that for me kind of shows the, the amount of hard work that it takes, um, the perseverance and, and how you need help and, and breaks from, from other people and other things. And, and I've been lucky enough to to get that, but, but certainly that's that's where it comes from. That's the enjoyable part for me when when you're standing out there and you, you've got people in the stand to, that have helped you so much to, to get to where you, you are and perform for them and, and show them that, uh, you know, that their hard work hasn't gone to waste and, and, and they enjoy it. And, and with them enjoying the performances, it, it makes me feel good too. The last couple must come in with one. It, I, I think there's a difference between a cliche and a truism. People talk about having had a bad experience and then everything afterwards is sweeter. Mm -hmm. Also, I think the human condition is to gradually forget or erase the bad times. Right now, it is every training session, every breath, every time you play the ball under pressure to a, a wide fullback or you pick up a trophy, that much sweeter because of what you've gone through? Or is the human psyche already like, you know, the tide in the sand? Washing it all away and a you're just accustomed now. A little bit of both because it is sweeter. Um, definitely it's it's something that I thought I might not get back again. Um, uh, there were a lot of times that I thought even just getting back to, to playing any kind of football, even five a side with my friends would would be a struggle. So to 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 get to this level, certainly the highs are are even more enjoyable now. But uh, and saying that, if it goes wrong, I'm still hard on myself and, mm. and, and beat myself up. And you know, I'll, I'll get reminded, yeah, but you, three years ago, you weren't even had a chance of playing football again. So yeah, that brings me back back to earth and, and make sure that I'm, I'm focused. And it actually probably makes the bad things not as bad as well, because uh, the fact that I'm, I'm here to even make mistakes or or have a have a bad game or lose a game that. Well, at least I'm here to lose, and and that's a that's probably a better place to be. I was always very hard on myself, very dedicated, growing up to to be the best that I could. I think that probably mentally has has actually made me even a, a better goalkeeper because I, I'm I'm even calmer than I, I was before. And not that it doesn't matter, but I know that I'm lucky to be here. There's a there's a last one which is like you, you've you've committed to Celtic. It's clearly a choice that's been an active choice. You can see positive things in the future, you're obviously number one, number one for Scotland too. You made it public, I think, or it was it's public that Chelsea thought you were somebody for them. And rather than the transfer story, I have to throw in the fact that it's the manager who's played most of his life with Buffon, who's identified you. Do you know how that process started? Apart from them going, there's a talented player out there. I don't, I don't know. Um a great deal about it. I know there was two bids made that were that were turned down. Um so there was there was never the opportunity there to, 
to go and talk, but uh, certainly to be to be connected with a, a club like Chelsea and a do you know, you see my point about like Conte well. and Buffon, do you know, yeah. there's, a, there's just a funny little loop in life that goes on there. Yeah, yeah, there is. And, you know, if I can continue to play on and, and, and if I can play like him, then uh, I'll do well for another six or seven years. Craig Gordon, the Gigi Buffon of Scotland. <laughs> you said free. that, I'm not saying that. How's your pasta cooking? Are you... oh, not too bad. There you go, that's it. Right. That's it settled. Um, I've enjoyed this as much as I thought I would. I think the audience will too. It was generous of you to give us this opportunity and so much time. Thank you. Thank you. The Big Interview is produced by Backpage and me, Graham Hunter. The music you always hear, the music that you love, is Beer Jacket. You can keep up with everything that we do within reason. You can enter exclusive competitions and put your questions to our future big interview guests by getting on the mailing list at grahamhunter.tv. How many times do I have to tell you? Yes, several thousand of you have done it, but come on, slackers at the back, sign up. That grahamhunter.tv site is also where you can buy the new updated version of my book, Barca, The Making of the Greatest Team in the World. It's my account of the Guardiola era at the camp now. 2008 until 2012 plus Tito, Tata and Adios Johan Cruyff. It is in all good bookshops now but it does also make a big difference to all of us who've worked on the project if you choose to buy direct at grahamhunter.tv forward slash books. You'll be sure to get the new edition and you will be helping us to continue producing independent content. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being there. Without you, this would be fun, but a lot less fun. See you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.